0: Eagles
1: entertainment with the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL draft the Philadelphia Eagles select
0: you're listening to the journey to the draft podcast.
2: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by Lifebrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a lot of news to discuss. But first, we've got Scout Stories, where I catch up with Eagles College Scouting Director Alan walking on the defensive tackle position, cover all the top things that Alan looks for uh, at the position. Really fun conversation there to start things off here in this episode. After that, we've got Draft Buzz, where the NFL draft underclassmen deadline has passed. That happened on Monday afternoon. All underclassmen had to declare for the draft, so submit their paperwork to the league. Nothing official out yet, but which big names are reportedly entering the class and who went back to school? We will hit on that with Ben Fennel with Dane Brugler right there in that segment, which afterwards we've got on the clock. The new version of this segment, a little bit of a throwback to our listeners from last off season that will return. We'll get into the rules there uh, when we hit that segment there towards the end of the show. And then we wrap things up with draft mailbag where we've got a really fun thought exercise uh, from one of our listeners uh, about round two of the NFL draft. We'll do that at the very end of the show. As always uh, now is the time, make sure you go on to our Apple podcast page on Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, a mock draft uh, rankings, whatever it is you want us to break down, That is the best way to reach us. That is the number one way uh, because that is number one. That's where you could throw us your support. And also we're always looking there because that's where uh, our biggest fans are going on and leaving us their questions, leaving us their remarks. So if you've got uh, any kind of question at all, number one, we will answer it. And number two, it's the best way to show us some love, help boost the show up in the list on the rankings list on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. That said, uh, let's kick things off here with Alan walking in scout stories.
0: Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories.
2: All right, well, excited to hear for Scout Stories this week to talk about the defensive tackle spot with Alan Walken, the Eagles director of college scouting. Alan, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks, Fran. So let's talk through defensive tackles. Uh, And everybody's looking for defensive linemen that can get after the quarterback. And I think in recent years, five, six, seven years, the, the emphasis on interior rush, the, the guys that can push the pocket and affect the quarterback, the, that has kind of grown and grown and grown to the point where now I, I've talked with people that have said, like, yeah, like I value that just as much uh, as edge rusher. So with that said, what is the toughest part about evaluating these guys and trying to project them forward to the league?
0: It probably how they're used in college. You know, sometimes you, if you're in an attack front and you like a player who's maybe in a gap management or gap control scheme, you're you're projecting that he could, you know, based on his physical traits, would would translate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, the, again, the the level of competition that they're faced with, how how they're winning and who they're beating. You know, sometimes you just you're not getting a, a volume of quality reps of of maybe the guy you like beating somebody that. Uh, he, he'd have to beat at our level.
2: What is it that separates like the the guys that are the good ones versus the great? How, what is it that kind of separates those two tiers?
0: Most of them really they're highly explosive, right? All these guys that we're going to see on SportsCenter, like they're they're exploding. They play through their hips. They have heavy hands. They're just really just strong, explosive, torqued up guys. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I guess that's the thing that's who we've tried to uh, show here on the show is that explosiveness that typically translates into power too. So like, not only do you have that quickness to be able to, if you're just shooting a gap, but also that ability to move people against their will as well, that usually is a, a translation, right?
0: Absolutely. If you can put a shock into a guy, knock him off his base, get him on, the, on his heels, you can typically win the rut. You can do what you want with him once you've taken away his power and you take away a guy's power by getting him off his base. So the ability to kind of quickly get out of your stance fire your hands, uh, land them in the right place uh, with power, you know, you're, you're, you're on your way to a win. Has your process
2: kind of changed over the course of your career? If you reflect back to your early days in scouting, when looking at this position, have there been areas that maybe you prioritize more now that you didn't as much early on or vice versa?
0: You mentioned earlier, I mean, interior rush, it's, it's always been important, you know, but it it's probably become increasingly important. You know, again, we play so much sub defense, creating pressure inside. It's such a a direct path to the quarterback. So winning on passing downs teams are passing on first down probably more than they were 10 years ago. I I don't have that stat in front of me, but I would imagine that's true. So I I think affecting the passer either through uh, collapsing a pocket, um, getting on edges or hands up uh, into lanes, you know, that's, that's at a premium. Whereas before maybe there were more gap control players that, that were, um, uh, you know, high value players.
2: And I got to think when you're making pitches to defensive line coaches or defense coordinators, you still need that guy to be able to hold up at the point of attack. That's going to be a non-starter. So it's tough to be able to find uh, the guys that, Hey, like you've got the juice to be able to get for the quarterback, but also are, are not going to give up grounds in the run game either.
0: Fran, we got to play Dallas twice. We got you know, we play a lot of teams that will just come straight at you with duo and, and, uh, double, uh, combo scheme run game. And, uh, if you have guys who are light at the point, we're just going to keep giving up first down. So Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. Like you have to have, um, sand at the point of attack to play this position. Uh, it's nice to have, uh, you know, all the flash and and the sacks and all that, but if you can't hold ground in the run game, it's going to be a long day for our defense. Well,
2: Alan, this has been great for you to be able to jump on and shed some light on the defensive tackle spot. Thanks so much for joining us here for Scout Stories
0: once again. Thanks, Brian.
2: So great stuff there from Alan talking about the defensive tackle spot. I loved what he talked about in terms of uh, the differentiating factors and how those guys are used and how often have we heard that this year when it comes to defensive players, whether it's corners, linebackers, safeties, and how, when you're evaluating these guys in college, it's not about, uh, you know, all these guys aren't apples to apples because they are built differently. They're used differently. And I love that quote, how they're winning and who they're beating and how important that is with projecting these guys from college to the NFL. I love what what he talked about. About in terms of uh, the guys that are highly explosive and how uh, explosiveness can often equate to power. And I, immediately my mind went to the Eagles rookie defensive tackle, Milton Williams. You could see that on display time and time again down the stretch. Yeah, I know that people talk worried about, oh, he's undersized. He's a converted defensive end sliding inside. Uh, he's got short arms, this, that, and the other. But then when you watch him play, this guy is so explosive and he changes the line of scrimmage consistently on contact in the run game because that explosiveness, that quick first step with his body type That often equates to power and his ability to push the pocket, change the line of scrimmage in the run game. We saw it time and time again from him here this season. And then just the the evolution of the importance of interior rush. Just great stuff there uh, from Alan Walking. Hope you guys have enjoyed that. We've only got one more of these segments uh, lined up before we get into all-star game season. We will hit on that here next week. Uh, That said, let's get into our next segment here. We're talking underclassmen. It's time now for Draft Buzz.
3: Now it's time for Draft Buzz.
2: All right, guys, let's get into draft buzz. We talked through the the topic du jour uh, this week is the the deadline that passed on Monday afternoon, and that is the underclassmen declaration deadline. Now, there is no official list yet uh, in terms of uh, being released by the NFL. We're recording this early on Tuesday. But uh, that list will come out later this week. Anything we talk about here has just been reported, either players or teams making the announcement uh, on social media or reports going out from a media standpoint. So we don't have any official numbers yet. That said, We do have a general sense of the positions that are most impacted by the underclassmen news. Dan, I want to come to you first, which position group in your mind uh, was helped most by this, uh, you know, by the, the underclassmen decisions to enter this draft.
3: As is so often the case, running back position is heavily weighted by underclassmen and this year is no different. So I I think that's, that, that would get my vote. Uh, You look at the senior class, there's probably not a running back, in this senior class that goes top 100 um you know i don't think until day three in the fourth round we start talking about maybe james cook or some of these other guys uh but you add in the underclassmen and kenneth walker is a top 40 guy in my opinion Brees hall could go in the second round uh, isaiah spiller maybe tyler algiers amir white Kyron williams all those guys could go day two so my vote would go to the running backs i, I know it's kind of low-hanging fruit that kind of the case every year because it's a position where with the short uh, shelf life uh, you know guys go to the NFL early so that kind of dwindles the senior class for the next year but uh, you know I, I think I have to go with running back here
2: when you look at the, the group as a whole including the senior group how, how do you feel about this running running back class in general?
3: Uh, it's definitely not the strongest uh, position this year and it's not the strongest the running backs uh, you know compared to the past few years, uh, you know, even though we haven't had a ton of first round or high first round running backs the last uh, you know, two or three seasons, you know, you, you look at two years ago with Jonathan Taylor and Edwards Allaire and J.K. Dobbins and DeAndre Swift all going in the top 50. Uh, you know, like that, that was an all-star group. Uh, you know, last year we had, what, two in the first round with uh, E.T.N. and Najee Harris and uh, then a few guys in the second round. So this year, you know, it's kind of behind those two groups, I think. Although I am a big Kenneth Walker fan, I, I do think he could be. Uh, a first-round pick and, and a starter for a, a long time.
2: All right, Ben, let's come to you next. Uh, which position group in your mind was mm-hmm. most helped by uh, the underclass ranks?
1: Well, the apple doesn't fall too far from Dane's tree here with the running backs, and it usually is often the skill players. So I'm going to go over to the receiver position where, you know, the senior group outside of Olave and Jahan Dotson is, leaves a little bit to be desired. And typically a lot of the true juniors and some of the redshirt juniors and the guys that are a little bit young in the class are the ones that dominate and are the ones that have all the upside and the potential uh, in the views of the NFL. So looking at, you know, Jamison Williams and Garrett Wilson and uh, George Pickens and Traylon Burks and David Bell and Drake London, all juniors in there. So uh, like it is with the running backs, typically skill players, the underclassmen, they dominate. And then, same question to you: When you look at
2: this receiver class, how do you compare it to other receiver groups that we've seen? Obviously, that's been a really strong position group for a lot of classes in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Do you look
1: at this receiver class and say, like, yeah, this is a, this is a good group overall? Well, I don't know if there's one kingpin in the group that you right. know, the NFL is coveting that's going to get thrusted into the top ten uh, like we've seen of late with certain draft classes. I think this is a little bit more of the 2020 class where you'll have. 10, 12, maybe 15 go in the top 60, but maybe none in the top 10, top 15. So I think day two class or day two kind of ballpark in this draft is going to be heavy skill players. Some of those running backs that have some third down ability, like the James Cooks of the world. And a lot of these uh, shapes and sizes receivers are some good slot players, some downtown players at vertical speed, some matchup players like Drake London. So I think round two is going to be a huge landing area uh, for a lot of these players.
2: And to me, like when I look at the underclassmen and how they kind of supplement the class overall, I often look at it like, okay, like not only the top end talent, but when you get into Ben, what you were just saying about day two players, you get into day three players, how are the, do the underclassmen declarations fill out the the draft class as a whole? Because obviously not all of these guys, we're going to see, we'll see what the the total number is, but it's going to be. You know 100 110 125 depending on the the, the labels for some of these guys it's going to be uh triple digits not all these guys are going to go in the first two days of the draft right so some of these guys are going to fill out and that's why i look over at the cornerback spot and i say okay you have Dirk Stingley and Andrew Booth, Sauce Gardner, like three guys you feel pretty good about on day one, and then you get to day two, and it's like, all right, well, you get in Mark Emerson from Mississippi State. You get Kyrie Elam from Florida, who some people think is a first-rounder as well. Trent McDuffie from Washington. Uh, you have Mikael Wright from Oregon. You go Kyler Gordon from Washington, right? So these guys get, that can fill in day two, even the early stages of day three, I look at this quarterback class and say, yeah, like this is another group that was really helped by the underclassmen that have that have entered this group. I do think that the senior class of corners is also like, it's a pretty interesting group. Ben, you and I talked about this uh, last week. There's a lot of interesting players. Maybe no one that's completely polished. Like Roger McCreary is going out of the senior bowl. I think he's one of the best players uh, going down there. But then it's it's really going to be a matter of preference and style and scheme fit and you know Damari Mathis and Cam Taylor-Britt Marcus Jones Kobe Bryant Jack Jones right there's all these players all these different skill sets uh, at the cornerback spot. Um, but I think when you look at the juniors uh, that are that are throwing their hat into the ring, I think there's a lot of names that that really make it an interesting group. Uh, that said, guys, let's get over to the offensive side of the football and look. We we know who the top names are, and if you've been listening to this podcast, you know who the top names are. Uh, whether it's a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, that are entering uh, this draft from the underclassmen rank. So my question for you guys is let's pick a guy on offense that maybe a little bit under the radar, not necessarily for us, but for the casual fan where, hey, you don't necessarily know too much about this guy yet, but we plan for this guy to be in that top 100 conversation. Ben, I'm going to come to you first. Is there a guy on offense where that really kind of comes to mind as a guy we need to know about he's going to be one of these high picks, but we're not quite talking about him uh, so much from a mainstream standpoint?
1: Yeah, and I'll stick in my receiver category here because this isn't a typical receiver factory. It's not an SEC school. It's not the Ohio State, Penn State of the Big Ten. And I'm looking at David Bell from Purdue. I think this kid is an outstanding receiver. He's been a three-year starter. Came right on the scene as a Big Ten freshman of the year. Then first team, first team, Gatorade player of the year from the state of Indiana. Really dynamic player. Can produce at all three levels. He's got good size at 6'2", 205 right in that money ballpark of all the elite route runners and kind of producers in the NFL, whether it's, you know, the Keenan Allens and Devontae Adams and right in that 6'2", 205 range where he's a good enough route runner, has good enough size to compete at the catch point and boys as he competed at the catch point. some r- ridiculous yep. adjustments in competitive catches. Reminds me a lot of like a Roddy white player with how physical he is and his route running ability. Long story short, I just ruffled off a bunch of receivers last segment there, you know, I was talking about the receiver position and David Bell just isn't on the tip of your tongue when talking yep. about the receiver class. He isn't from a, a all intents and purposes, you know, a factory of receivers. I know uh, Rondell Moore has turned into a nice player for the Cardinals in his young career, but it's not where you go for top level talent, but David Bell has done nothing but produce, produce, produce. And he's still a pretty young kid. And he just turned 21 years old in December Really, really good player, just not in the discussion with the other kind of top names, and he should be. And a very different kind of skill set from Rondell Moore. And what's
2: what's always stood out to me about uh, David Bell, everything is so easy for him at the catch point. He makes things look so easy. He very rarely puts the ball on the ground. You talk about how well he competes uh, in those situations at the catch point. Uh, That is where David Bell has always been uh, A-plus in my mind. Dane, is there a guy uh, for you that kind of fits this mold?
3: Yeah, and for me, so this, this pick kind of deserves an asterisk a little bit because we believe he's going to be in this class, um, but we don't have official word yet. I'm talking about Tulsa offensive lineman Tyler Smith, uh, who it, it, college left tackle, might move inside the guard and call, or in the pro level. We'll see. Uh, he's athletic. He's physical. He stays balanced in space. I think because he is such a young player, timing, weight distribution, sometimes that could be a little bit off. He's just gonna need time as he as he you know get understands how to better control those things. Uh he's only a redshirt sophomore, still young, but all the tools are there for him to be a productive NFL starter. So once he learns to play under control, stay on time, uh, you know, Tyler Smith could be a, a really good player. And like I said, I believe he's gonna be in this in this class, yep. just waiting on final confirmation on that one.
2: Uh, guys, I'm going to go back to the receiver position, and it's it, to me. I feel like Justin Ross, the receiver from Clemson, is almost like one of the forgotten guys in this class. Uh, going back to what he was as a as a freshman, uh, what he did, um, you know, it, back in the in the 2019 season. Obviously, he missed all of 2020 after a back neck injury uh, in the spring going into that year, just before, just as COVID hit, uh, Justin Ross was put on the shelf. He had you know, that neck surgery. He missed that whole season. He came back this year, and that Clemson offense just never really clicked. Obviously, he had a young quarterback there in DJ Ouyangale, uh, that just never was able to, to hit on all cylinders, but Justin Ross, at his size, with his movement skills, his abilities at the catch point, uh, we kind of forget that this guy is a special, special talent, uh, and we'll see. I mean, he, he was one of the first under Classman to declare for this draft. Uh, we're going to see uh, where he ends up and things. Obviously, that medical is going to be huge for him uh, here in just about a month and a half at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. But uh, Justin Ross, a name to keep an eye on. He put up huge numbers early in his career with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the talent is absolutely there if he's healthy. So uh, let's go. Same question, but we're going to go over to the defensive side of the football. Dane, I'm going to come to you first on this
0: one.
3: Uh, I'm going to go with uh Alex right here uh UAB edge rusher uh listed at 67 wow. 270 he's got that athletic stretched out frame he led UAB this year with seven sacks uh two forced fumbles he's still learning how to unlock all of his tools and and power through contact uh you know understand how to best use that leverage that he offers so uh you know there there's some things that he's you're still bringing bringing him along in terms of his fundamentals and unlocking everything but he has the traits worth developing and He's a guy that doesn't get a ton of pub when he declared, but legitimately could go day two. He, he's got some day two grades around the league.
2: He's a guy I, I knew of him uh, just towards the end of the season. I know he got some accolades there uh, in terms of like all conference and things like that. Uh, but then you see like the, the body type, you see some highlights and this kid, I can't wait to dig into his film. Uh, ben,
1: I know he's a guy that uh, that you wanted to hit on as well. Well, as I'm kind of scrambling here to find another player, because that was who I was going <laughs> to, we talking about as well. He's a really, really fun player. And don't look at the stat line and the box score with this kid. Minimal sack production, tons of QB pressures. He was getting home and winning, but sometimes that ball comes out and those sacks don't rack up. But he has really good ability, has three-way ability inside, outside, through you, has some ability. That reminds me a little bit of like uh, Marcus Davenport coming out of UTSA with his size and strides and uh, explosiveness. But a guy that I think is a little bit under the radar at this point is Nick Benito out of Oklahoma, who I think has done nothing but get better and better and improve. It just wasn't the year for Oklahoma as far as on the national stage and kind of being in contention. And obviously their quarterback situation was up and down all over the place. Benito had a great 2020 and improved all those numbers in 2021. Just wasn't on a lot of TV screens, but he's 6'3", 235, 240, and I'm willing to say the loosest pass rusher in the class. He has all sorts of ability and flexibility to win inside, spin moves, edge rushes, pursuit out to the perimeter. Don't sleep on this kid. He has some Brian Burns type ability. Mm. Uh, guys, I'm going to stay uh, with this edge group, and I, I,
2: I think there's a, a theme there that I do want to hit up on, but uh, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, uh, this is not a guy that's under, under the radar for you two, because uh, Ben, you've been pounding uh, the table for Cameron Thomas for over a year now. Dane, you had him in a, a couple of mock drafts, right? at least one mock draft, uh, so towards the end of round one. So this is just a name that I feel like everybody just uh, mainstream has to really kind of catch on to. Cameron Thomas, the pass rusher from San Diego State, 6'5", 270 pounds, can line up inside. he also kick in there. He can line up. he lines up primarily outside can kick inside. This guy is nonstop energizer bunny energy, but then also uh, has the ability to win in a number of ways. He can win at the top of the rush. He can win with his first step. He's a fluid athlete. He he reminds me in a lot of ways of Max Crosby, who obviously had a huge year uh, this year for the Raiders. But I think when you look uh, at Cameron Thomas and his overall skill set, he's been productive from the jump. Uh, And this is a guy that absolutely everyone should have, uh, have their eyes on here as we move into uh, into this pre-draft process, I, I don't think it's out of the question at all to see him sneak into the back end of round one. And guys, we would talk about at the top, hey, you know, there's a, a, a what does this mean for this class overall? I think most people would say that this edge group, this pass rush group, is probably the best position in this class. Do you guys agree? And obviously, the, the underclassmen, we just hit three that we're all pretty high on, and that helped boost this class up. Not to mention all the blue chip guys at the top. Dane, do you think that this is uh, the best position in this class?
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it has to be, it's at least in the conversation, maybe along with, uh, you know, you could talk about uh, receiver because of what you have in the top 100. I don't think day three at receivers as strong with the top 100, Um, uh, you know, a few other positions, but yeah, edge, it just stretches uh, so far into day three rounds four, five, and six. There are going to be some good players that get pushed down because there's only so many spots for these guys to go. And we're going to see probably, Uh, five edge players go first round, another five, uh, six go in second round, and it's not going to slow down. It's one of those positions every team needs. And there's there's a a wide variety of different edge players. You know, you've got a, a George Karloftis, uh, but then you also got a Jermaine Johnson, you know, two different types of and styles of, of rushers. My Jai Sanders from Cincinnati, he might be 230 pounds soaking wet, but uh, it's hard when blockers can't get their hands on him. So yeah, this edge class group has a lot of depth and a lot of different styles uh, of pass rushers, and that's why I think yeah, I think it's it's got to be at the
1: top when you talk about the the deepest positions.
3: And then Ben, yeah, you know, just the thoughts on this group
1: overall. Yeah, I think Dane kind of hit it perfectly. A lot of shapes, sizes, abilities. Guys that have some versatility. Guys that are kind of scheme spe- specific. Win all different ways, all different types of experience and age. Really deep group, fun group, and uh, yeah, I think I would have no problem saying probably the deepest and most collective group in the class.
3: Now, you're gonna like list your top twenty edge players in this class, and you're gonna be mad at yourself for whoever you leave out of there because there's just there's too many guys like you. I was doing this the other day. I was ranking my top uh, edge uh, rankings. And at 21, I've got like, uh, you know, uh, who did I have? D'Angelo Malone, right? I was like, he's got to be a little bit higher than that. Or, you know, it's just Michael Clemens from Texas A&M. No, he's got to be. So it's just, it's frustrating because there's so many guys but it's almost like you have to kind of break them up because of their you know, different things that they offer.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I think that the, the differentiating factors in terms of the skill sets will be big. Uh, and all these teams will view these guys a little bit differently, which is something we'll get into in the next segment as well. Uh, but uh, let's move on, guys. Hey, we're going to go back to the offensive side of the football. We thought you guys mentioned Alex Wright earlier, right? The the pass rusher. And I, I have not personally studied Alex Wright yet. So he is a guy that can factor into this category here, where look, each of us were only one person. So we have not studied, did, done deep dives on every single player that is declared for the draft. So my question for you guys who's a guy on offense that you're excited to do a little bit more of a deeper
1: dive on now that we're pretty sure uh, that they're going into the class? Ben, I'll, I'll come to you first on offense. So we need to call this category the all bio team. Because yeah. all we have is the bio information. <laughs> you know, we haven't really studied him yet. And I have the leader in the clubhouse of the all bio team, okay. and that's Cam Jurgens at Nebraska. Sure. Have you yeah. guys dug into him? Not his tape yeah. because I haven't watched a lick of him yet. But he has Forward a tight whole, end. yeah, he has tight a end of time, yep. background. A three-year starter, but that redshirt year initially, he worked at center and tight end. But his high school background is really impressive. Obviously, a double-digit basketball score four-time state champ in discus, three-time in shot put, was the team's punter, was an all-area linebacker as well. When we talk about center and linebacker, who are we thinking of there, Fran? Jason Kelsey, pretty easy to connect those dots. Three-year starter, really nasty player, is a finisher out there. Was also, I think, hurt his senior year, so he fell off some recruiting trails, wanted to go to Nebraska for a long time. So he was set on there, but really couldn't kind of sell himself around the country with his injury senior year. Really, really good player here for uh, Nebraska is a guy that uh, DJ Daniel Jeremiah has texted me about during the season saying, did I watch his Ohio State tape? And no, I haven't yet, DJ. I'm getting there. Um, but he's a guy that I have all his info and I am intrigued. So who do I want to watch more and excited to dig? Cam, Cam Juergen, center, Nebraska.
2: I love you, that. And he, he's, been on, he's been on the freak list the last couple of years for uh, Bruce Feldman. Yeah, oh, he,
1: he has.
3: Yeah, throwing the oh, tape, yeah. and he's down. He's thirty yards down the field, uh, running and making plays. So he's he, he's a little undisciplined, but in terms of ability, yeah, it's definitely there. And I just, you know, kind of a little off topic, but shout out to Nebraska. They they're one of the schools that does the best in terms of information background, high school. Uh, I give a lot of credit to the SIDs and the people in those departments who put a lot of time into that. It, it not only helps the kid, but helps us and um, other people, are, you know, just wanting to find out more about them. So credit to, to Nebraska and a couple other schools that, that really put in the time and the information. Tennessee, uh, one that always stands yep. out. to me. there's a, there, Virginia tech has always
2: been good. There are, there are a handful of schools that always pop into mind with that category. Uh, Dane, uh, who's got an offense for you
3: here? Uh, I'm going to go Kevin Austin, uh, the Notre Dame wide receiver. He's thickly built at six two two fifteen. 15. Uh, definitely passes the eye test. Uh, pretty athletic. Uh, he doesn't necessarily look like a burner when you're watching him, but he's, he's got speed. And you look at his track background, he ran a sub 11 seconds in the 100 meters. So uh, he has the speed to do it. Uh, really like how he can make smooth adjustments on the football. He could pull in those uh, footballs away from his frame. Uh, he'll drop too many easy ones. And uh, that's something that I noticed uh, just on the, the surface level stuff that I've done on him. But I'm really eager to do a more of a deeper dive and figure out where exactly in this receiver class does he belong. So you guys know that when we go to, like, Senior Bowl, Combine, I love talking with the players
2: in this class about the guys coming down the line. Uh, The first person that put me on to Kevin Austin was actually Troy Pride at the Senior Bowl in January of 2020. And he said he went up against them every single day in scout team and that he was outstanding. He said, this guy is going to be the guy for Notre Dame moving forward. Chase Claypool, the, the, a few weeks later, uh, told me about Kevin Austin. Um, you know, and said like that, this guy is going to be outstanding when he is the starter, uh, now things never quite clicked to that extent uh, with Kevin Austin, but as you mentioned, the guy is six-two-two-ten, looks the part. The highlights are really, really good. So uh, we'll see what he looks like here as a member of this class. I haven't done the deep dive on him yet either, and I'm excited to see uh, what he looks. But I will stick at the wide receiver position. This is a player that I know really. If you've if you watch college football this year, you've seen highlights of Wondell Robinson. Ben, I know you've talked about him plenty uh, here on this uh, on this podcast as well. Uh, I'm excited to get it. You know, when it comes to like the undersized kind of gadget receivers you want to get a sense of where are they on that tier scale are they going to be uh is this are we talking about like a Kadarius tony type where yeah like he could be in that first round discussion or are we getting into like oh he's more of like a gadget type or you know early day three when you when you see these guys on saturdays you don't always know i'm excited to kind of dig into the film on wandell robinson and see a, how he came across some of these big plays, you know, how much of that uh, was on him versus the scheme, and just what he can be uh, in the NFL. I'm excited to dig into Wandell Robinson because the highlights on Saturdays uh, were a whole lot of fun. Ben, I know you watched a lot uh, of that Kentucky offense.
1: Yeah, a variety of uh, different ways to get him the ball this year after coming over from Nebraska and being used completely different, but I'm willing just to say he's a playmaker. So if he goes to the right offense with the right creative mindset, he could really flourish early in the NFL if he goes somewhere or maybe they ask him to do something that he isn't capable or, you know, maybe an unconventional role based on how he was used in college could be a little bit slow to develop. So I hope he goes to one of the creative OCs in the NFL. All
2: right, guys, let's get over to the other uh, defensive side of the football. Dane, I'll let you uh, start things th- start things off here. And underclassman, uh, you're excited to dig deeper on on defense.
3: And I've only done one tape on him, uh, but Jaquan McMillan from East Carolina, uh, he's undersized, but, you know, he makes plays on the football. And I, he, just, he plays with a natural sense of how to play the position. Uh, and, you know, he kind of reminds me of, of Meek Robertson when he's coming out of Louisiana Tech. There's legitimate concerns about his size. Uh, I, there's an explosive gear missing with McMillan, but highly, highly aggressive. Transitions, I think, really wells the stay-in phase. And he's an outstanding competitor at the catch point. really interesting because he's not going to—he's not going to light it up on the, on on paper. You know, the size is not going to look great. I don't know that he's necessar- necessarily going to test all that great. But you know, what's going to look good is the, the ball production and just his natural sense uh, of how to play the position. So he—he's going to be a tough guy to figure out. Um, and I think that you know, diving more into his tape, hopefully, he kind of figure that part out. And he he's got the knack for the takeaway, and that's
2: something that you have displayed here on this podcast. If you as you have stolen two names away uh, from Ben Fenelon, guys that he wanted to hit on as well. Uh, ben, yes. I know you wanted to hit on Jake Klein McMillan. He's another guy you've studied lately
1: as well. You guys, we used to share the rundown before we came
2: on the air. <laughs> well, we, can, we can we can get the group text fired back up again and share No, now, right? I, I like the dice rolling. I'm not <laughs> knowing what to
1: expect, but hey, I, I mentioned
3: the... him last week to you guys. Yeah. I didn't pull
1: him out of, out of, out of nowhere. And, but the funny thing is I watched him last night, and I also wrote down Meek Robertson, and I have the receipt because I was obviously uh, – I told Fran I was talking with his DB coach, and we were going back and forth with some names. So the receipt's out there. I was also comparing him to Meek Robertson. I have some concerns about him, though. He is not a big kid. He struggles in some pre- – Press man, struggles a little bit with his footwork and off man. All his plays are with his eyes forward and that zone coverage stuff. His big hits in the flat rarely gets off block. So he's going to come in at 5'9 and change, probably like 179, maybe 180 if he has a big breakfast. So just a little bit concerned about his size and how he wins. But he is as good a ball hawk as there is in the country. So excited to dig into him as well. And, uh, you know, I think there's some other interesting underclassmen as well in that defensive back category. Particularly those two at USC, Chris Steele, mm. Isaac Taylor Stewart. Both very interesting players and backgrounds, both different style of players. Chris Steele, very experienced, feisty from what I hear, good press man player. Isaac Taylor Stewart, not as experienced, tall, and apparently in the 4 2, low 4 3 range. So, really interested to dig into both their tapes. Two guys I really haven't studied yet.
2: You know, I've been waiting to do uh, Daxton Hill, uh, the safety from Michigan, and you know, obviously, I've heard great things. So you see him sometimes in mock drafts, as potential top fifty pick. Um, I'm interested, to, Dana. I'm pretty sure you've studied him, right? Uh, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts uh, on how you view him overall, projecting. But uh, he is a guy that I'm very excited to do. Once I dig into these guys after uh, Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, that's when I'll start getting into the, the underclassmen I have not done yet. Daxton Hill is one of those guys. I, I just haven't been able to get to him over these last few months.
3: Yeah, he's he's what the NFL needs, you know, today's NFL needs uh, on defense because he is basically – I mean, he could be a free safety. He could be your uh, slot corner. Uh, he, he could do all those things because he can blitz, he can tackle, he can cover. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he matches up very well against tight ends. He makes plays on the ball. Um, he's smart. He's athletic. So I, I think that he has a, a very good chance to get into that first round you know be that first safety drafted not named kyle hamilton he's right there in that mix so yeah I'm, I'm a big Daxon hill fan and a big part of it is the versatility that he offers uh being able to play corner be able to play safety kind of do it all
2: so i want to stick at the safety position for our last topic on this uh, underclassmen discussion and that's the, the the returnees the guys that are going back to school we'll see them for uh the 2022 college football season we don't need to spend too much time here guys and obviously there's mixed feelings right because part of us. we were like, oh, we'd really love to see this guy be a part of this draft, but also going we'll to appreciate the fact we get another year of watching them uh, on Saturdays in college football as well. Uh, Jordan Battle from Alabama. That was a little bit surprising. We saw his teammate, Henry Toyo Toyo, go back as well. Uh, Jordan Battle, I'm pretty sure was PFF's highest graded safety of the last like five, six years, something along those lines. So uh, A guy that grades out well from an analytics standpoint, but watching him, I see a starting safety all day uh, in the NFL. So um, I did do a deep dive on him a few weeks back. I try not to do that on too many juniors, but Thought I'd, I'd have a shot on, on battle coming out. Uh, battle looks like a starter to me. Uh, so, obviously, a huge get for Nick Saban. Uh, ben, how about you? Who, who's a guy that uh, is going back to school that you feel like is a big notable name?
1: Yeah, definitely kind of a retooling with Nick Saban there with Bad old Toyo Toyo. I think DJ Dale also heading back. The young Will Anderson yep. with the bookend uh, defensive end on the other side. They should have a pretty nice defense down yep. the middle there. I'll stay in the safety category. And I'll try to snipe as many names as I can from Dane here. So, you know, Jalen Catalan from Arkansas, I think, wants to have a better year than he uh, put out on tape in 2021. Damani Richardson out in Texas A&M is a player with all sorts of ability and range and athleticism. And super excited to see Brandon Joseph hop over to Notre Dame going from Northwestern, a guy with all sorts of coverage ability, a real tight end eraser. Can handle some bigger slot receivers down the field. Great ball skills. So Jordan Battle, that's a good one there, Fran. A couple other safeties as well. Catalan, Richardson, Brandon, Joseph all could be top 50 players uh, in next year's class.
2: Uh, I saw Catalan and Brandon Joseph as top 50 guys coming into this year. And obviously Catalan didn't have the season he was expecting, uh, as you alluded to. Uh, Brandon Joseph, that one kind of caught me off, off guard. I didn't even see that he was in the portal. I just saw the announcement that he was going to Notre Dame. Uh, so that one definitely uh, threw me for a loop. But Brandon Joseph, big get there for the Irish. Uh, Dane, take us home here on the underclassmen conversation. Who's a guy that's uh, notable going back to
0: school?
3: Well, real quick on Brandon Joseph, I'm very interested to see him at Notre Dame because I I didn't see it at Northwestern. Like I, he wasn't even a thought for me when I was putting together my top fifty this summer. Um, I just I I didn't see a great athlete. I saw a guy that you know maybe in the back half of top one hundred you consider, but I not someone in the the first two rounds. So I'm eager to see him at Notre Dame to see if uh, maybe it it clicks for him a little bit more. Maybe clicks for me. Maybe I, I see something that you know you guys are seeing right now. Uh, for for me for underclassmen going back, I went with Phil uh, Jakovic, uh, Boston College quarterback. Yeah. I think he was expected to, to be part of this draft class I, coming into this year, but he had that injury midseason, basically he forced his hand. Uh, pun intended. Uh, He's a big athlete. Uh, You know, he's delivers with touch. He can make plays, you know, he's kind of in that, that Roethlisberger mold uh, as as a quarterback. It also helps that Zay Flowers, his uh, top target at Boston college is going back as well. So that should be, uh, you know, a quarterback wide receiver combination that is one of the most prolific uh, in the 2022 uh, college football season. So hopefully both of them stay healthy and it's going to be fun to see how, uh, how they both develop uh, next season. Guys, before we transition to our uh, new edition of our On the Clock
2: segment, I want to real quick just catch up on who, who who have you guys been watching lately. I'll tell you, I watched uh, Jermaine Johnson, the pass rusher from Florida State, uh, for the first time, actually. did a deep dive, watched like four, four games of his uh, over the weekend and everything you've heard about him from a trait standpoint. I mean, this guy's 6'5", 260 plus pounds. He looks the part, he is so fast off the ball. He's a good looking kid, really twitched up and he's explosive, he's got all the athletic traits. He uses a wide variety of rush moves. I don't know that one is like a go-to for him that I'm like, oh, like this is definitely like his A pitch, uh, You know, coming r- right out of the gates, but uh, plenty to work through there. And he's a solid run defender as well. Uh, I wrote down uh, Jalen Phillips, I wrote down Montez Sweat, just some guys from some recent classes. Uh, both those guys were first round picks. Jermaine Johnson looks like that. It kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier uh, with this edge group, just a really, really strong group of pass rushers. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, definitely in that boat. Uh, Dane, who's a guy uh, you've studied a lot lately. uh, You've studied lately, I should say.
3: Yeah. And I I don't think Jermaine Johnson gets enough credit for what he does in the run game as well. I mean, he is a complete uh, defensive end. uh, A Good chance. We see him in the first round. Um, I went with Zamir White, who I kind of finished up uh, his report. Uh, He's, you know, because he's not, was not involved on on third downs and passing downs a lot, uh, you know, doesn't have a ton of of reps and pass protection, doesn't have a ton of uh, target. I don't think he had double digit targets any of his three seasons at Georgia. So that's a big question mark on his resume is can he stay on the field in any situation But what we do know is on early downs, uh, he can carry the load. I mean, this is a one cut back with power, can lower his pads into contact. He's violent, but he also has quick dynamic feet. So uh, when you look at it, he's got the ideal build. I mean, he's nicknamed Zeus for a reason. This guy is built uh, from countless hours in the weight room. Uh, His physique is outstanding, Uh, outstanding footwork. Uh, Just love his mentality with the way he runs the ball. So he could be a dynamic one-cut runner. Again, the big question with him is going to be, what is the upside with him on passing downs? What does he can he get better as a pass protector? Can he get better catching the ball in the backfield? That's going to be the big question mark for Samir White as we go throughout this process.
2: A lot of a lot of big physical backs uh, in this class. That is definitely a profile uh, to watch here. Ben, uh, round us out. What's the last one here?
1: I think I need to see some of those Georgia weightlifting uh, sessions there. Those linebackers, those running backs. I mean, they had Elijah Holyfield for a couple of years before Zamir White. Those guys are rocked up and. Sure, pumping some iron, but I want to get ahead of this Tulsa left tackle, Tyler Smith, who's a redshirt junior. I think, uh, still waiting on an official declaration, but all intents and purposes, sounds like he will announce for 2022. Might even have announced by the time this episode comes out. Really interesting player there off the backside of the offensive line for Tulsa. He's about 6'6, 3'30, three year starter, has some of the best block sustainability as I've seen in a prospect in five, six, seven years. Stays latched very, very well. Just when that defender wants to get off him, whether in his pass rush or, you know, stacking and shedding in the run, runs his feet very well on contact, has a mauling demeanor, looks to finish defenders, really good kind of meat hook hands where he wants to grip, torque, and finish you. Now, listen, his hands are a little wide at times, and because of that demeanor and that style where he wants to torque and dump you, gets caught holding quite a bit. Um, but I think it's fixable. Um, has a weird kind of false step on poles as well, but the fact that he gets away with it, I think really speaks to his quick footedness and his ability to play on the move. He's a really good looking player. He's got good length. I'm telling you guys, Watch the past two years of Cincinnati. Maje Sanders had enough of this kid. This guy was dumping Sanders and Sanders being that 230 edge rusher. This is not the matchup for Sanders. He was getting dumped and jarred at the point of attack and on contact quite a bit. Watch the Ohio State tape this year. He looked apart. Watch the Oklahoma State tape this year. Looked the part. So don't scout the helmet there out in Tulsa. This kid is legit. So he's a really good looking player on tape. And he's, I think, 20 years old, too. So young player.
2: I like it. Well, guys, we are, we've got
1: a few more players to talk about here. Our new edition of
2: our On the Clock segment. Let's get to that one now.
1: On the clock. All
2: right, guys. Let's get into our new edition of our On the Clock segment, and this is a, a bit of a throwback to something we did last offseason for the first time. Uh, all three of us really liked this segment, and so we brought it back. And basically, here it is. If you weren't with us last off season, basically what happens I go to a you know you go to a website. You can go find uh, these little randomizers where you spin the wheel and it's a uh, you know a random assortment uh, of whatever options you want. And so basically, all three of us are being assigned every week a random team a random part of the draft and a random position. And we're just going to play matchmaker Uh, and it's going to be, it's a fun exercise. And also I've kind of plotted this out where we should be able to hit every NFL team over the course of this off season uh, from now up and through April. And so uh, we're going to start this today. And again, we just kind of went through the randomizer randomly assorting uh, these different combinations. And Dane, uh, you are first up. I got you. You have a first round pick here. You are picking for the Kansas city chiefs. Okay. And you get a pass rusher for the Chiefs, obviously something that's definitely on the table here for Kansas City going into this offseason. So with that in mind, uh, you are picking as if you are the Chiefs. So you take all everything into account, things they've done in the past, their needs, their, their, the way that they've built that defense. Who do you like here as a round one option for the Chiefs off the edge?
3: Well, we know Brett Veach and his staff, uh, very traits-heavy. That, that's what they they really trust with their scouting evaluation and we know uh, the you know, defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo uh, in Kansas City, he, he's pulling the strings there. Uh, he the type of scheme where we know he's going to blitz heavy pressure four three base. So I, I think when we look at an edge in the first round, uh, a guy that can not only rush the passer, but can also stack blocks, help create those rush lanes for all the, all the blitzing packages. Uh, And looking at where the Chiefs are picking at in the first round, I'm going to go Jermaine Johnson. I was Uh, just going to say, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, long, athletic. He plays with the instincts to uh, rush the passer but also stop the run. So I think he has the the hand tactics. He's got the motor. He can be an every-down starter and and be a guy that can line up on the edge, can line up on the inside uh, of the offensive tackle as well. So uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense for Kansas City in the first round.
2: They've also, you know, Brett Feach. he was a, a Southeast area scout. That's where he like kind of cut his teeth in terms of uh, his college scouting. And a lot of their picks have come from that area of the country. So uh, Jermaine Johnson, certainly in the background, of not just a Florida State, but also at Georgia, uh, some of those inroads uh, could pay fruitful there,
1: Ben. Well, really quick, Dane, make Chiefs fans feel better about the Breedland Speaks picks so or the Tano hmm. passing young picks, you know, where does Jermaine Johnson maybe have a little bit more ready to him? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, true.
2: That's I think like the difference between those two or between those three. It feels like you know Jermaine Johnson. He's a through and through like pass rusher, right, Ben? Whereas I think when you look at Speaks and you look at Tano Passanio, those guys were more combo inside outside guys, and certainly both guys were a little bit raw as well. Speaks hadn't played a ton of football. Passanio coming from a lower level, coming from Villanova, right? So um, I think when you look at Johnson, smaller sample size, but uh, did it at at a you know, at a big school at Florida State, obviously has a, a, a long career at Georgia as well. I think
3: in you as a Dorsey, I think as well. So that's a good call. Yeah, that's
2: true. Uh, yeah. That's a good call. The Speaks, I think, was Veach's first pick, if, yeah. I, if, I, if I remember right. Um, so, all right, let's get to uh, let's get to the next one here. I've got the Browns, and I have got uh, day two. So Cleveland Browns day two. Wide receiver. So another one that was uh, very much on the table here. So what do we know about the Cleveland Browns, this current front office, the way that they go about uh, team building? Number one, they more often than not are going to target big schools. They're not going to get any bad athletes. They trend a little bit younger, so underclassmen heavy. Um, With that in mind, I did think about guys like David Bell, who we talked about earlier in the show, Drake London. Uh, We'll see how high he goes in this draft. I didn't want to cheat him in there because uh, he's in a lot of round one mock drafts. So um, To me, I look at, look, this is a team obviously lost to Odell Beckham Jr. midseason. Rashard Higgins, free agent this spring. Jarvis Landry entering a contract year. So this is a big need. Ideally, you want somebody that can come in and make an impact uh, pretty soon. I think you look at John Mechie from Alabama. This feels like the right time frame. Uh, obviously, you got to check on the injury there. Um, but I think when you look at John Mechie, uh, he's a very polished player. He's not a bad athlete. I don't think he's special. but I don't think he's a bad athlete in any way. He'll pass the, the, the benchmarks there. I think when you look at John Mechie, uh, this one makes a lot of sense to me in terms of a guy that's willing to do the dirty work. We know this is a, uh, a run-oriented offense. He comes from a run-oriented offense at Alabama. Uh, John Mechie, uh, to me, I think checks a lot of boxes there for the Cleveland Browns.
3: I I think maybe the the only thing that could be a hang up is not having any testing information yeah, yep. from him because of the injury and the ACL and you know it, how that would factor in for the Browns. Because we do know that they, you know, it drafting Anthony Schwartz in the third round last year and you know, they they care about uh, you know the testing information, Imagine especially that, for sure a skilled position. So would, would that factor in? But I, I I mean, I agree. I think that you're getting a discount with with John Mechie. I think he's, he's a guy that, you know, could have gone top 40, fully healthy, maybe top 30, but to get him outside that range, it's almost like, kind of like Grant Delpit uh, two years ago uh, for the Browns who fell a little bit because of some of the injury stuff. So uh, kind of, kind of last year as well. Yeah, there you go. So I, I think when you look at it with what they've done in the second round, the last two years, it certainly fits.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to, uh, let's get to Ben here, Ben uh, through random draw. You got the new England Patriots and you got Patriots, early, Okay, early, early day three, so early we'll day three. Cornerback. Okay. So this is a, definitely a combination. You definitely envision. So a corner early day three
1: for bill Belichick and the Pats. All right. So kind of like the round four, round five range yep. Patriots cornerback, excuse my thinking out loud here, as we're kind of digesting this on the fly. You know, it's Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia out there. Their number one quality in corners has always been tackling, tackling, tackling. So they need some tough guys first. Obviously some man coverage ability, smarts, FBI, that zone uh, instincts as well. I mean, they have Juwan Williams out there, Jalen Mills, JC Jackson. I mean, this is a traded for Sean Wade. This is a group where we say, what was your 40 time? We don't really care. Hmm. You know, we would rather the physicality and the instincts. Day three. Thicker corners, tough. I'm thinking, you know, Jamari Mathis. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant. Thinking Josh Job even from Alabama. Um, well, uh, Cam Taylor saying, Britt, Nebraska. Well, you just sniped that right out of my mouth there, Fran, because that was going to be go. my pick today. Let's go. Um, I'm going Cam Taylor Britt, <laughs> who I think has really good size at six foot, 200. And don't hold out the possibility he shifts to safety. Right. Yep. And, you know, maybe taking on kind of a Logan Ryan type of transition mm-hmm. or even a Devin McCourty or a Duran Harmon and a lot yeah. of those former corners that ended up shifting inside because they're big and they're tough and they're athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cam Taylor Britt checks a lot of those boxes and plays a good variety as his own man uh, out at Nebraska. So I think he's shown kind of both abilities on tape. I don't know if he's going to be a straight line burner in shorts and a T-shirt. But I don't think that the Patriots and Belichick and Patricia and the way they want their defensive backs to play, they really care. So Cam Taylor-Britt, I think he'll fit right at home with the Patriots.
3: He played safety uh, as a sophomore. He started I mean, half, more than half the season as strong safety before they moved in a corner, so that certainly fits. Love it. Uh, it's, uh, sorry I sniped you. You got, you got
2: sniped three times today in the podcast, Ben. We'll see, uh, <laughs> see if you can count back uh, next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Lifebrand.
1: Now it's time to hear
0: from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag.
2: Fun stuff there from Ben and Dane. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment. It was one of my favorite things we did last year, and we are bringing it back here for this offseason. Let's get to our, our mailbag. And again, the number one way for you to get to this show is to make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question like this one, we will answer it. And Ed, a longtime listener, a longtime friend of the podcast, send in send in this question. This is a great one said, here's a thought exercise that might interest only me. Right now, the Eagles have three first-round picks. So let's pretend that the Eagles completely trade out of round one. They get some future picks, but now they have four second round picks. Who are some of the top mid second rounders in this class? And this is an awesome question. I love this. I love this kind of stuff. So, uh, and this could apply to anybody, not just for, for Eagles fans, anybody you're looking for the talent in the middle of the second round. And very often you say that's where teams get the most value. You get really talented players uh, right in the, the heart, right in the meat of that second round. Uh, let's look at running back to start things off. Right. And I think when you look at uh, the running back position, that's where this could really, that that run could start where you're, whether you're talking about Kenneth, Walker Walker, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kyron Williams, that, that whole group. I think you're starting to have that conversation in the middle of round two. We've seen plenty of second round running backs coming to the NFL and make early impacts. Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, two of the best in the league right now. They were taken in this range. I think you talk about that same conversation with Walker and Hall and Spiller and, the, and that group uh, wide receiver. We talked in the last segment about John Mechie, about how he could end up in this discussion. Even Jahan Dotson, David Bell, I, I think you can have that conversation with a number of these receivers. They're not all going to go in round one, right? We, we talked about uh, you know the Jameson Williams and the Traylon Burks and uh, you know some people really love Drake London. You go down the list, there's a bunch of receivers. They're not all going to go in round one. So how many of those guys fall to the middle stages of round two? I think you could see uh, some of those guys. I, I named Jahan Dotson here, but it could be any of those guys ends up in this area of the draft. Uh, Offense Line two names that really stand out to me at offensive tackle Daniel Fa'alele, the right tackle from Minnesota, monstrous human being. You know, was he 6'9, 400 pounds? He's from Australia, did not play uh, football until he arrived here in the States just before college. Uh, goes to Minnesota, starts as a true freshman. He's got a couple years under his belt as a starter, still very much a moldable ball of clay. But uh, this guy has all the traits to be a, a dominant force up front at that size, unique movement ability at that size. He is someone to keep an eye on uh, here moving. Moving forward, he is going to the senior bowl in a couple of weeks. Also another senior bowl guy, Zion Johnson. Uh, he is a, a player who transferred up. I believe he started his career at Davidson, was it? And then moved up to Boston College. He's played some left tackle and left guard, like a much more on the inside. He was an, an all ACC player as a sophomore and uh, on the inside at guard, uh, made the move out to play some more tackle last year in 2020 moved back inside the guard this fall and just looked so much more natural. That's where that, I think that's where uh, his best value is going to be. And I think you look in the middle of the second round, that's where you could see Zion Johnson go off the board from Boston college. Getting over to the defensive side of the football, pass rushers, we talked about how good this group is. And one guy we haven't hit on yet in this show, Kingsley Enigbare from South Carolina. He was a first-team all-conference player. I'm pretty sure he led the SEC in sacks last year, 2020. The sack production wasn't there here this fall, but you're talking about a well-rounded player. He gets after the quarterback. He can defend the run. He's got good size. You just check a lot of boxes there with Kingsley Enigbare. Maybe not a a one special trait, but I think just a rock-solid player. I think you get into the middle of round two. uh, That's where you might see him go off the board. I go to linebacker. This could be a really sweet spot for the linebacker position as well. And we know who the blue chip players are. We've heard about, you know, Devin Lloyd from Utah and Nicobe Dean from Georgia. A lot of people high on him. Right. But I think you look at Christian Harris from Alabama, Quay Walker from Georgia, Damone Clark from, uh, from LSU, Chad Muma from Wyoming, all four of these guys, I think you're starting to have that conversation there in the middle of round two and I don't think you wouldn't blink an eye at any of those guys, so I think you look at those four guys, uh, make a ton of sense there at that part of the draft. Cornerback, Martin Emerson from Mississippi State, big physical press corner. Uh, Ben has compared him in the past to like a a Trayvon Diggs. I I, I can kind of see that. I think when you look at his play style and and the way that he wants to be aggressive and and take on receivers on the perimeter, I compared him to like a Kevin King who actually went uh, in that area. I believe he was early round two It might've been late round one, Kevin King coming out of Washington to the green Bay Packers a couple years ago, but Emerson's a 6'2, 200 pound corner. Uh, Only had one interception coming into this season, but this guy is strong on contact. He is tough. He's competitive. I love his instincts. Uh, Just a a really interesting player. And then DK Kendrick kind of the opposite from a a play style standpoint. He's a former receiver who made the move to corner uh, at Clemson. And then he transferred to Georgia. Uh, This guy has got a lot of different traits that you're looking for from an athletic standpoint. He could play the football, in the air the ball skills not a question you'd like to see him get a little bit better playing downhill but from a coverage standpoint DK Kendrick checks a lot of the boxes that you're looking for and then that's safety Verone McKinley from Oregon I think is really really underrated he's been a key part of that duck secondary for the last couple of years high end end ball production this year he got uh, he was named a finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award as one of the top defensive backs in the country if you're looking for a cover safety a guy that can line up in the slot can line up deep uh, and be a ball hawk that is Verone McKinley I think you're talking about him in that same area of the fee of the, of the draft in that middle of round two. So, uh, Ed, I hope this helps. Uh, this is a bunch of names here. I just want to kind of go position by position. Who makes the most sense there in the middle of round two? I think a lot of these guys, and there's going to be more, uh, obviously check, uh, that box So good stuff there from Ed. Thank you to him. And thank you to all of you out there for your support of this podcast and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles entertainment. We'll be back later this week on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand.